Good morning and welcome to Back for the Break. I'm Todd Brinker. We'll have Aaron joining us in a little bit. Uh, lots of stuff going on in the world. It's been a busy weekend. It's been a busy weekend. Yeah, you know, just towards the end of the week last week, the Supreme Court said that President Trump can use, can use military funding to build his border walls. He can divert military funding, and this is something that the uh, Democratic Party has fought against, as well as a variety of other groups. Um, and you know, he has uh, he spent uh, about six billion dollars that he diverted from the military to pay for the constructions of a uh, of a border wall in Air in parts of Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, and California. The Supreme Court, by a 5-4 vote, basically split uh, along the the sort of liberal versus conservative lines, uh, said that lawyers from the Sierra Club and House Democrats who sued to challenge Trump's diversion of funds as illegal and unconstitutional. Uh, the rulings uh, before the judges in California and Texas, uh, they had won rulings before judges in California and Texas, but in a brief order last summer, the Trump the court allowed Trump to continue spending the disputed funds while the litigation continued. Uh, this was over the dissent of the four liberal judges who said that the decision would likely operate, in effect, as a final judgment. Um, but the, the court kept the order in place. The concern was that they'd finished building the, the border wall pieces, and then it would be a moot point as to whether or not they could defend the fu- I guess they could still go back and say that the funds were illegally diverted to prevent it from happening again, but they chose not to do that. The the court actually cited 5-4, saying that it is legal for them to divert the funds. Um, and uh, so anyway, it uh, it has happened. They uh, The court says that there's nothing wrong with that, that it's perfectly legal. So... Um, Trump has been also tweeting over the weekend that he's going to ban TikTok from the United States, that it's a Chinese-owned company and that they're gathering information about American citizens uh, for the Chinese government. TikTok denies this. Microsoft has said that they are in talks to buy TikTok, and they aim to have that deal finished by September 15th. So by Trump putting a hold on his ban for 45 days, which he... Uh, just announced this morning that gives Microsoft time to complete that purchase so it's interesting to see that uh, Microsoft is saying well wait a minute don't ban them we'll just buy them and bring them here because they're so popular we want to get into that business of uh, social media in some sense I have my doubts as to whether TikTok is something that's going to have a long life though sometimes these social media things come and go pretty quickly Um, we'll see We'll see if that one uh, has any kind of staying power, has legs. Oh, excuse me. Mm, Got the morning yawns. Um, Let's see. Um, NPR has a battleground map for uh, Trump versus Biden, and they say that Biden is increasing his edge over Trump. Um, You know, I have my doubts about this. I have said before, I don't think that most of Trump's supporters— 
uh, pay any attention to or answer any questions of anybody taking polls. And so I think that there's a lot of Trump supporters who are just not showing up in polls because they refuse to participate in polls because they believe that they're biased and run by a biased media. And, um, you know, public radio and NPR in particular has been criticized in the past for being pretty left-leaning. And so um, the idea that, that they think that the more liberal candidate is winning is not a huge surprise because the people who they listen to and the people that they have relationships with and contacts with via their programming are generally going to be left-leaning people. And so I, I don't I I just have my doubts. That's all I'm saying is I have my doubts. Um, you know, it's um, we, time will tell. I mean, in 2016, that the polls all said that Trump didn't have a chance in the in the primaries, and he won, and that he didn't have a chance in the general election, and he won. And again, I just think it's that there's a lot of people who aren't being measured at all people who are not being caught in those uh, or, or seen at all in in the polls because they don't participate and so um, you know time will tell whether or not it's uh, something that's going to something that it's going to work um, it seems that uh, you know with Ford debuting the 2021 Ford Bronco uh, and the uh, and the Chevy has revived the Chevy Blazer name tag, and GM has got that you know as an as their off roader, but uh, they kind of missed a, a a step because the Blazer didn't go for sort of the retro iconic look, but they're not giving up completely. Uh, you know, they also have shown a uh, GMC Hummer pickup, which is, will be all electric. So they're reviving the Hummer nameplate. And uh, and they also are looking to do a, an off-road sort of souped-up ZR2 version of the, or a ZR version of the Blazer. So it's going to look something like the Ford Raptor kind of idea, where it's like a... Uh, off-road or, or, or a sedate homespun um, uh, SUV that's sort of on steroids, souped-up off-roader, you know, so there's going to be blackout package on the front end with the extra big tires and lifted kit and skid plates underneath and mm. yes, sip that morning Java. Uh, you know, so I guess if, if you're a fan of the, the big off-road type vehicles, there's going to be options out there for you if you want the uh, the more um, retro-looking Ford Bronco that's been re-revived, uh, or if you want the uh, GMC products, apparently they will have GMC products in that same vein. Not so much retro-looking, but definitely... Um, the high-end off-road type of vehicle that has the uh, much more rough-and-tumble design so that it's made to be essentially an off-road racer um, in street clothes. So, you know, there's something for everybody.
something to look at, something to go with. And we're still waiting to see when uh, the, the, the Tesla Cybertruck is really going to be out and about and what the final product looks like. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine what it was like around Tesla when they debuted that thing and said, yeah, and it's got bulletproof glass, and then they, you know, threw a rock through it. Uh, and they said, oh, well, that was a fluke. We, we'll throw a rock at the other end and went right through the other window, too. And so it's like, huh. It's not as tough as we thought it was. Um, so, yeah, there's got to be a lot going on there. <laughs> uh, you know, if they can't predict how strong the glass that they said was going to be bulletproof was, really is, then I wonder about how tough that, that body is. You know what, what it reminds me of, honestly, is it reminds me of the um, uh, DeLorean. You know, DeLorean had that stainless steel body as well um, now DeLorean was made with layers of steel sandwiched with foam in between it was squeezed together in high pressure um, but all those big flat panels any little nick or ding or anything is going to stand out like a like a lighthouse on the side of a big flat steel panel so um, you know and trucks because they're used as working vehicles get lots of little nicks and dings in them all the time so I I have my doubts about that, too. I guess I'm very skeptical today, huh? Seems like it. Seems like it. Um, Eli Lilly is starting a late-stage study of a coronavirus drug in nursing homes. So uh, U.S. drug maker Eli Lilly said Monday it's beginning a late-stage trial to study whether one of its experimental COVID-19 antibody treatments can prevent the virus's spread in residents and staff in U.S. nursing homes. The phase three trial will test, and of course this is the, the testing name, when they market it, it'll have a, a, a much different name than LY-COV555, a treatment developed in partnership with Canadian biotech Abcelera. is expected to roll up to 2,400 participants who live or work in a facility and that have recently been diagnosed with a case of COVID-19. COVID-19 has had a devastating impact on nursing home residents. Lily's chief science officer, uh, Daniel Skovernoski, said in a statement, we're working as fast as we can to create medicines that might stop the spread of the virus in these vulnerable individuals. Well, let's hope that he does uh, what he says or he, that they're successful in their development of this because, um, you know, the, a, a, a vaccine is great and it helps protect people so that they can go out and about. But if you've already caught the disease, we, we need to have some treatments for that too. Um, so they're hoping that this will work prophylactically. So um, uh, it will prevent people from infection, infection um, but also uh, tamp down infections that have already begun. So, so um, yeah, it's, it's nice to see that they're doing that kind of research as well, that it's not all just on um, finding a vaccine, but also uh, some curative medicines for the disease once people have caught it. Uh, over the weekend, Wilford Brimley passed away. Um, he's the guy who, who was made fun of a whole bunch of on uh, Saturday Night Live because he did a diabetes uh, ad, and instead of saying diabetes, he went, diabetes. I got diabetes, and uh, you could get diabetes too, so take care of yourself. Uh, and uh, so he, he passed away. He also was um, a star in the um, uh, television show Our House that ran for a while. 
on NBC. It was on TV from 86 to 88. And, uh, and he um, was in, um, oh shoot, what was that movie? It was uh, all the old people were in the movie. Anyway, it was interesting because he was a guy who didn't start acting until he'd retired from his, uh, his original career. He started acting as an old, older gentleman and, uh, and had quite a successful acting career. And uh, he was good at it. He was good at it. He'll be missed. Um, I know he hasn't done a lot in the recent years, but, uh, you know, he, he was getting up there in age. And so, you know, when he retired from his second career, which was acting, he, he uh, lived in Utah, and he was 85 years old. They say he passed away from a kidney issue that he had been suffering from from several months. So, again, as somebody who had diabetes, that's not unusual that they will have kidney issues. So let's hope that he's, uh, you know, his family is is um, remembering him fondly and uh, hoisting a, a cup to him and and, uh, and appreciating him for who he was in his life. Um, you know, he, he seemed seemed like a nice guy, but then you never know. You know, you know, you know, you know, you never know. Um, Speaking of never knowing, the rumors continue to persist. In fact, several um, uh, about Ellen uh, DeGeneres. The the um, there's been several now actors who've been on their show, uh, who've been on her show, who've said, "Yeah, when you were there, you weren't treated very well. She was not very kind to people," and uh, and so you know, I mean, you never. I don't know if it's true. I don't know the woman. I've never been on her show. I've never been in that place. But there's enough people now saying that the place itself was a toxic place to work. And that she doesn't treat people particularly nice, which is just awful because she just comes across in public as somebody who who's such a kind person and so and you know anyway she's publicly vowed to uh, to rejumble her staff and and remove some people and find the bottom of the trouble and try to make it a better place to be and uh, uh, for her employees and for those visiting. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. But yeah, it is boring, isn't it? Yeah, boy, that caught up with me. Um, so, anyhow, here's to another cup of coffee, huh? Mm. Or another sip of coffee, as it were. But, um, anyway, you know, at least she's not just flat out saying, no, that's not true. She's now saying, okay, maybe there's some issues here. We need to work on it. And let's, uh, she clearly thinks she's not the issue. So, she thinks there's somebody else's the issue. So, we'll see what happens and how that hap- happens, uh, what happens to that but the um the idea that uh you know that she's going to go off the air i'd heard a, uh, there was an article that i read saying that they that they were going to take her off the air and that she was going to be replaced with james corden i don't know james corden's got a pretty good gig already i'm not sure he wants to move to daytime television but you never know uh you know work all night work all day he'll just work all the time um but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with that. Um, Philadelphia Eagles head coach Doug Peterson has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, I afraid, I'm afraid football is going to be the same boat that, that uh, baseball's been in, that they don't really have any constraints out there, any rules uh, or any kind of lockdown of their players or coaches or staff. And so it's just like the rest of us. And they're just going to say, well, we're going to go back to work and see what happens. But, you know, uh, all it takes, you, you get one person testing positive, and that one person may have already infected two or three others, uh, you know, if they're 
working in close concert with each other in in um, you know planning meetings and and team meetings and things like that. So they're supposed to be personal distancing and wearing you know masks and face protection and I d you know again the skeptic in me comes out and said I have my doubts I, I really wonder how well the football season's going to go and, and how well the baseball season's going to go whether or not they'll actually I mean even with their sort of limited schedules that they're planning whether or not it's actually going to happen um, that said the NBA seems to be doing well they've got you know 385 tests a day and people are testing negative there and they're playing their games and and it's um, you know I I get that it's got to be a lot different for the athletes because they're playing in essentially an empty gym and uh, you know they're piping in crowd noise and things like that and uh, it, it's got to feel a little weird for them but for me watching on television it it's it's basketball and I'm getting to see the people play I mean I watched the Houston Rockets uh, beat the number one team in the in the league in the Milwaukee Bucks yesterday on Saturday I watched the Lakers play their second game in lockdown and lose to uh, the defending champions the um, uh, Grizzlies and uh, no not the Grizzlies it's the um, um, Toronto um, was it the Grizzlies anyway Lakers lost, and the um, and the uh, as did the um, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks, and so you know, eh. um, I was glad to see the Lakers beat the Clippers on the first day of the season on the thirtieth, which would have been Thursday. They'll play again today, and we'll see what happens with them, but. Um, so far, they've got 50 wins. If they hit 51, they will clinch the first place in the West. So they need, of the eight games, they need one more win um, to clinch. So we'll see what happens. I suspect that they're probably going to get it. They've got six more games remaining, and they're going to um, probably pull one off. Although, I've got to say, looking at this sort of the restart schedule, the um, Lakers looked to me to have one of the tougher um, – one of the tougher schedules the um, in the restart. I mean, they have some, some tough teams. So uh, today they play the Utah Jazz. That's one that they should be able to win. But the Oklahoma City Thunder are no pushover. They play them on uh, Wednesday. Uh, on Thursday they play the Houston Rockets. They're certainly no pushover. Then uh, Saturday the Indiana Pacers. Um, which they should be able to win. I mean, they should be able to win all these. I mean, if they if they plan on going through and winning the championship, they should be able to go win all of these. But it's uh, there are some tough teams out there. Uh, so they've got the Jazz, the Thunder, the Rockets, the Pacers, the Nuggets, and the Kings. Those are the remaining games that they have to play. Um, and so, um, you know, we'll see what uh, we'll see what they end up actually doing. Um, but that's kind of where they're at um, for Clippers fans um, and of course I realize not everybody here is either a Laker or a Clipper fan but I am um, the, the Clippers have uh, let's see the Orlando Magic the Washington Wizards and the Sacramento Kings oh wait a minute they already they beat the, the Magic and the, the Wizards uh, let's see 
slide 20. Oh, those are the scrimmages. Okay, okay, so they lost to the Lakers. I see their schedule set up a little differently here. Okay, so they, they lost to the Lakers on Thursday. On Saturday, they beat the New Orleans Pelicans. They've got the uh, Phoenix Suns, the Dallas Mavericks, the Portland Trail Blazers, and the uh, New Jersey – I'm sorry, they're now the Brooklyn Nets. And then um, – who is that? They've got the uh, Golden. No. I can't see who that is. The Nuggets. I guess it's Golden State Nuggets? No. Denver Nuggets, dummy. Okay, there's the Denver Nuggets and then the OKC Thunder. So um, those are the remaining games. So we'll see what happens um, as we get into that. I'm a Lakers fan. Died in the wool Lakers fan, so let's hope that. Uh, for my sake, so I'll be in a happier mood that the Lakers continue to uh, continue their winning ways and don't stumble like they did um, against the um, or like they did on Saturday, rather. Anyway, um, yeah, Saturday they they uh, so funny the uh, Toronto Raptors. That's who they they lost to the Raptors. Wow. Grizzlies. I was getting all confused up here. So yeah, it's the Toronto Raptors is who they lost to on Saturday, and uh, they beat the Clippers on Thursday. Anyway, their restart seems to be going pretty well in that they um, uh, have basically locked everybody down in into a, a, a cordoned off area, and they're testing everybody daily, and if anybody uh, leaves that area, they have to go into isolation before they're allowed back into the general population inside the area and I know I say general population that sounds like it maybe is a uh, sounds like it could be a prison I know that that uh, LeBron made a joke about you know feeling like he was going to go uh, do a stint in, a, in the prison for this thing uh, you know it it's about the most luxurious place that they could possibly uh, put that many people all at one time and I I I'm a little put off by them saying, you know, the complaining about it. You know, they're they're being they're going off to do their jobs is what they're doing, just like everybody in the military has done since time immemorial, uh, just like uh, the workers that go out and spend um, you know months at a time on on oil rigs do. There's lots of jobs where you have to go away and leave your family and go do your work, do your job. And you come home. And you know what? Most of those jobs have a premium. The NBA already gets paid a premium. These guys are paid a lot of money. And let's face it, they're essentially entertainers. They're paid a lot of money to be entertainers, to go do something that's essentially a game that other people do for fun. And they go out, and they're doing it, and they're doing it at a high quality. And I, I don't want to hear complaints about, oh, my gosh, I have to go stay away from my family, and they won't let me go anywhere and do anything. It's like, tough beans. You know, if you don't want to do it, then don't do it. Go find a regular job. Go do something else. Um, it just it it sickens me to think that they're complaining about having to be away from family and stuff for that period of time, um, and uh, to to go make you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of dollars. And so um, you know, bite the bullet. Go do your job. And if you don't want to do that job, then quit and go find another job. You don't. Nobody's forcing you to take all that money to go play basketball. Holy moly. 
Anyhow, um, let's see what else is going on in the world. Um, here's an interesting one. The, um, there's scientists who are using a, um, method that won a, um, Nobel prize to try to fight the pandemic, to try to fight COVID-19, but it won the Nobel prize in 1901. So a few weeks after the new coronavirus arrived on U.S. shores, Dr. Arturo uh, Casadevall hatched a plan to beat back the outbreak with a medical advance so powerful it had earned a Nobel Prize in 1901. That's when Dr. Emil Adolf von Behring was honored for pioneering the use of the so-called convalescent serum as a treatment for diphtheria. In 1892, the Prussian bacteriologist infected horses with the pathogen that caused the deadly disease. If the beast recovered, then von Behring harvested their blood, removed its red blood cells and clotting proteins, and introduced the resulting antibody-rich fluid into the bloodstreams of human diphtheria patients. Until a diphtheria vaccine came into broad use in the 1930s, von Behring's daring experiments saved countless lives. At the end of the 19th century, diphtheria, known as the strangling angel, was the tenth most common cause of death in the United States and a pitiless killer of children. Convalescent serum would go on to become the mainstay of treatment for measles, mumps, tetanus, smallpox, and polio before the era of vaccine began in the late 1940s. It's a beautiful histor history, um, Casa Duval, a microbiologist and phys physician at Johns Hopkins University, said with wistful ardor, it was the birth of immunology. Amid a pandemic response that promises marvels of genetic engineering, vaccines developed at warp speed, and artificial intelligence at the bedside. It takes courage for scientists to dust off a remedy from the history books and propose it as modern medicine. The yellowish elixir now drawn from the blood of recovered COVID-19 patients is plasma, uh, which retains some of the clotting factors. It has been tried against Ebola virus and novel strains of influenza only to be shelved when the vaccines became available. Reviving the 19th century invention to fight a 21st century pandemic is no job for the faint of heart. It will generate neither profits nor scientific glory. Yet to navigate a gauntlet of clinical trials and logistical challenges, it does require a mighty intellect, a heap of energy, and the ability to muster an army of skilled recruits with and a knack for fundraising. And so, nearly every night for five months, Casa Duval and two longtime colleagues uh, have met online to plot the potential comeback of convalescent plasma. They hope it can become both a treatment for COVID-19 and a way to protect people at high risk uh, of coronavirus from becoming ill. So these gentlemen are all in their 60s. They're out trying to make this happen. They are um, running trials. They've got a consortium of 260 doctors and scientists from 57 institutions around the country. And they've launched more than 50 laboratory studies and clinical trials. As of Thursday, 79,059 patients had been treated under the project's experimental compassionate use program. And preliminary findings are expected soon. So we don't have findings yet. So we don't know if this works, but it has worked in the past for similar types of things. So, I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense. If what you need is antibodies in your system to fight this thing off, how about go find somebody who's already fought this thing off and get their antibodies, right? So that's what they're doing, essentially. So they're giving you antibodies directly into your system. Um, now, um, 
what's interesting is, uh, when, you know, it, they're, they're doing this to give you some antibodies. I don't know that this works as well as a virus or, or a, a vaccine, which basically entices your body to make its own antibodies. Uh, so these antibodies might eventually get filtered out of your system. So it's a short term fix, but it might in the short term help give us some sort of a um, curative measure as a as a hump cure to get us to the vaccine if vaccines are taking time to develop. I mean, the earliest we said vaccines would be here would be this December and more likely sometime next year before they're in large-scale production, whereas you can pull blood plasma from somebody who has had COVID um, with no trouble at all and make it work. So um, anyway... Um, you know, Casa de Val is, uh, you know, a Cuban-born physician and a pioneer in the study of disease-causing fungi. And he's a passionate student of history. And thank goodness, you know, he's reviving a historic method to try to figure out how this is going to work. And, um, uh, you know, let's hope that he finds that the results as they start looking at them um, show positive, uh, positive effect. Because that is what we need. We need a way to... Uh, kind of beat this back and give us a little bit of uh, a freedom you know and if they can get something like this going really quick that'll give you say say you get the the injection and it's good and it gives you two months worth of um, um, protection you know you could if you could get this thing out if you could get plasma uh, rich or, or uh, antibody rich plasma uh, injected into people and give them two months that means you could get kids back to school without fear of them uh, spreading the disease and causing causing the pandemic to continue and increase. Along those same lines, and this is, is truly scary, um, is that there are articles out there now showing that the virus load in young children, particularly um, uh, kids under the age of five, so these are you know preschool age kids, that their virus load can be up to a hundred times higher than that of uh, the average adult, which is horrifying because that means that a child that, and they may not even be showing any symptoms. So, because apparently the, the virus doesn't seem to, to show symptoms, at least not in the same way as it does with adults. So imagine you've got an infant with a huge virus load like that, and you're a healthcare worker or a daycare worker. Um, you're now putting yourself at risk being around a child that has, uh, much, much higher virus load than an adult would have. And the question then becomes, you know, do we know that, that because they have a, a higher virus load that they're more likely to spread the virus? We don't. We don't know that. It's a, it's a novel virus. We don't know how it works. But if I were a child care worker or a, you know, a um, person who worked in a daycare, I would have a lot of concern about the idea that maybe one of those kids would have literally a hundred times the virus load of an adult you know and when you're working with kids especially little kids there's times when you need to give them a hug and you need to to you know physically be close to them they're little kids they need reassurance and they need you know they need um uh, that that you know that physical it's okay when when they fall down and hurt themselves you know you can't pat them on the back with, with a, a stick at a six-foot distance while wearing a mask and face shield. Um, 
you know, it's uh, it's a tough situation, and I think you know we need to know what's going on there, and they need to really look at that because it, 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 if if younger people can carry um, full viral loads, and and apparently they're saying kids over the age of five can carry the full adult viral load, even though they don't necessarily have symptoms again. So this is the point that I was making. Uh, when they said let's go back to school is that yeah maybe the kids aren't at that big of a risk but the teachers are and the grounds workers and the 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 food workers and the bus drivers they are all at risk of being around a whole bunch of little or even not so little if they're you know in middle school and high school they're almost adult sized uh, snuffily kids but the thing is that the, even though they're adult sized doesn't mean they're adult brained these are still children who act like children and they you know they're bozos they don't uh, they're larval brains they don't they don't think like an adult does and I, I wish I could say that all adults thought like a you know thinking perceiving adult does but a lot of them don't um, and it concerns me that we're then going to put these these little people um, these these larval brains all together in one place and say keep your mask on don't spit at each other because you know I can see kids going oh I'm gonna get you sick and spit at their friends you know because they think that's funny because hey they're stupid um, and and that's gonna happen it flat out will happen I guarantee it and then what are you gonna do you're gonna sue families and sue because they sent their kid to school because the government said well we've got schools open you need to send your kid i mean it's there's how do you how do you deal with that there's a a weirdness there that is going to happen and so until we've got a better handle on this sending kids back to school is just a bad idea i'm sorry it's just a bad idea um uh i don't think that homeschooling kids is giving them the education they need I also don't think that if they missed a year of school, and I'm not saying they have to miss a year, but if they if if everybody missed a year of school, everybody'd be just fine. By the time they were, you know, 25, nobody would notice the difference or care. Nobody's going to go, "Oh, you're from that year of kids. You're the dumb ones." Nobody's going to care. It's going to be fine. Trust me. It's just going to be fine. Um, you know, it's. Uh, I had a friend in high school, and this is not the same thing at all, but just by way of, of sharing a similar kind of thing, but it's, I get it, it's not the same, uh, who during the winter ski season would not come to school on Fridays. Every Friday she went skiing with her, her sister and her dad. The, the dad would take his kids up to the mountains to go skiing. And a few years after she graduated, her dad died of a massive heart attack. And I'll tell you what, she has never once looked back and said, boy, I wish I'd have been to school on all those Fridays. Um, she remembers those that time with her dad fondly, and, and, and she should. It was, um, you know, uh, and, and, and missing those Fridays might have affected her grades, but it certainly didn't affect who she is and her ability to go out in the world and find a job and, I mean, you know, if she was a super type A student who, or who had, you know, straight A's and perfect attendance, okay, maybe taking off Fridays would have freaked her out. But that's not who she was anyway. That's not, you know, she was an average student, an average kid, um, who who has has phenomenally great memories of spending time with her dad, going skiing on Fridays, and uh, 
you know, during ski season when there was snow in the mountains. And, you know, I, I know she wouldn't trade those memories for anything. So sometimes, sometimes it's okay to take a break. Sometimes it makes more sense. And sometimes when people are dying of a disease, it's better for you to just stay home. Um, let's change the tone a little bit, shall we? Shall we? You know those murder hornets? Well, they found another one. One. Yeah. And it's weird. It's kind of a middle-sized one, so they don't know whether it's a worker bee murder hornet or a queen murder hornet. It's sort of a tweener size. They think it's probably a worker, but they're not certain. Um, so they're continuing to set traps in the Washington area. They're going to try to see if they can figure out where their uh, nest is. If they can catch one live, they're going to try to tag it and have it go back. Now, I don't know how they tag something that's an insect. I mean, even even though these insects are, you know, inch and a half, two inches long, these are big honking hornets. Um, I don't know how they're going to do that. But anyway, apparently they think they can or they have done it before. Uh, I hope that they find it. I hope they do because this is an invasive species and they're very concerned about the honeybee population because these things basically attack hives, rip the heads off bees and kill them by the hundreds and can destroy it in a complete hive. Um, you would hope that the bees will all hide inside their, their hives that are now being outfitted so that the bees can get in and out, but a murder hornet cannot. And that would protect the hive somewhat. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. These things apparently have stingers that are long enough and they are strong enough that they just sting right through a bee suit. So you have to have a special extra thick type of suit and they're, you know, like like a lot of places in the middle of the summer, they're going through a heat wave up there and marching around in almost 100 degree heat in a thick rubber suit is probably not the most comfortable way to be out there. But as I understand it, the, the pain from these stings are so bad that um, the alternative is not worth it. So you wear the big awful suit because the sting from these things is horrible and They've actually been known to um, sting multiple times. Unlike a bee, their stinger doesn't come out, and that people have died from their stings if they because there's uh, enough people have a reaction to this uh, venom that they inject, and it's excruciating. Um, yeah, I have no desire to be anywhere near anything that that does that. Uh, you know, and I mean, if you look at them, they look just basically like a big giant bee when they zoom in i mean you know they've got the black and white yellow stripes uh, uh uh abdomens um but they're ginormous ginormous and you know if these things are going to if we're letting if we don't do something they're going to continue to uh, to spread and then our honeybee uh population is at risk um and if our honeybees are at risk you think, well, okay, fine, I don't use honey anyway. That's not the main concern. The concern is is that they that bees, uh, while they make honey, they pollinate most of the food sources that we grow. Um, just about anything that has any kind of flower on it, meaning any kind of tree fruit or uh, um, uh, 
plant that has flowers. That's how they how we get the 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 fruit or vegetable from that that plant is by pollination and a vast majority of that's done by bees. I mean, there's a little bit done by hummingbirds and other things as well. And there's a few other insects, but bees are the big big pollinators out there for us. And so we need our honeybees. We need our bees. And uh, you know, if we let these critters keep going, they like I said, they one of them can wipe out a a nest uh, or a hive of bees, and that's horrifying to think about. So um yeah, if you see big giant bugs, stay the heck away from them and report them. Call your your local animal um, uh, animal shelter, animal um, control number for your local city if you see one, uh, or if you catch one in a trap somewhere. Especially if you live in the Washington area, but if you see one or you think you've seen one anywhere, um, make sure you talk about it. Now, be aware that there are other big bugs that come flying around every year. We get these June bugs. And I know it's August, but we they, they come at different times throughout the year in different places depending on the heat and the the time of year. Uh, and they're giant little bugs that fly around. They fly pretty badly, though. They bounce off of walls and stuff. They're not the best flyers in the world. Um, but uh, they're completely harmless, June bugs. They're annoying. They're crunchy if they die in mass. Um, I used to have a fruit tree in my backyard, and they would love the figs, and they would be all over it, but then they would die, and there was hundreds of them dead underneath the fig tree as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, bugs, go figure. Boy, uh, let's see, what else is happening in the world? Um, baseball continues to play somehow, but I'm not sure what the heck is going on there. Uh, PGA Championship odds. Justin Thomas jumps to the top of the list with Bryson DeChambeau. Tigers odds fall. Um, the 2020 PGA Championship. When is that? Let's see. It's this week at TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. So we'll see what happens at the PGA Championship. So they'll tee off probably. They usually tee off on Thursday. They play Thursday, Friday, and then they make a cut. And those who make the cut then play Friday and Saturday. So um, so if you're a golf fan, you know, and golf is something that if there was ever a, a sport that could be socially distanced, it would be golf, right? There's plenty of people who could be um, – out there playing and you really don't have to come within 50 yards of each other other than on the tee box and you can certainly stand back and let somebody tee off and not get up close to them so uh justin thomas and bryson dechambeau are both at 10 to 1 brooks kepka roy mcelroy at 11 to 1 um dustin johnson is 20 to 1 there's several others tiger woods comes in at 28 to 1 he's a ways down uh, Ricky Fowler, 35 to 1. Tony Finau, uh, 35 to 1. So, yeah, they're there. Justin Rose is 51, 50 to 1. Jordan Spieth, 50 to 1. Adam Scott, 50 to 1. So there's quite a few down in the in the pack. Uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. You know, they can make all the odds they want, but when a guy gets out there, if he's, you know, in the groove uh, and and just hitting the ball well, uh, watch out because any of those guys at that level can have a day where it's like just my day 
Of course, the thing is with, with golf, you know, you have to have your day four days in a row, right? Because they play four days in a row. But, if you, you know, if you're good enough to just hang in the top, you know, within a few po- points of the top uh, and then have that wow day where you just outplay everybody by several strokes, um, you can jump to the leaderboard in golf, you know, unless somebody's just running away right from the get-go. Um, but these guys are so good. I mean, it's it really is amazing that they can be several hundred yards away and knock a little inch-and-a-half diameter ball, you know, a couple times and land in a hole. And sometimes it's, you know, two or three hits and they're in the hole. And it, it's astounding that they're all that good at that, you know. Um, they really are. Anybody who's played the game goes, huh, it's tougher than it looks. So uh, there's the old saying that golf is a good walk ruined. I would say it's just a nice thing to do while you're out on a walk and don't get too wrapped up in the fact that, you know, it takes you eight times to hit the ball in the hole when it takes the guy on TV four because, you know, they make their living doing this. They're they're good at it. Uh, so... But on the positive side, you know, any any schmo can go out there and play golf and be a golfer. Not any schmo can can you know hit three point shots or uh, or throw a football fifty yards in the air. So um, it's the kind of game that anybody can go pick up and go do, whether or not uh, you're you know six foot five and or weigh two hundred and seventy pounds or whatever the case may be. You know, it's 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 the sport for the average Joe. So. Here's to being an average Joe, I guess. Anyhow, um, Aaron obviously did not join us today, so I prattled on for 40-plus minutes, and I think we've kind of reached the end of the show today. So um, I thank you all for joining us, and I wish that it wasn't just me droning on for 48 minutes. Uh, I'm sure you do, too, if you're still with us. But uh, thank you very much for listening if you are with us, and I look forward to talking to you again tomorrow. If you're at all interested uh, in tech stuff, I have started a new, new podcast called Generation Tech with my dad. He's one generation, I'm another, and sometimes we're joined by uh, a third generation uh, from our family who has tech interests. And so you can find that at generationtech.online. That's generationtech.online. You can always go to Wakanda Broadcasting. That's W-A-C-O-N-D-A Broadcasting. We're named after Wakanda Springs in Kansas and the Wakanda Seed Company, which my grandfather founded with a friend of his, um, the doctor in town, Doc Bingesser. So Wakanda Seed Company is the the source of our name, but we are wakandabroadcasting.com, and you can find us online. And and from there, you can see all of our shows at Wakanda Broadcasting. Right now, there's just a few, but we're looking to expand, and uh, we thank you all for listening, and we will see you later. Thank you.